Welcome in, you knotheads. You've arrived in the nick of time. I'm your host, Nick Cormier, here to discuss with you once again the goings-on in pop culture, entertainment, television, sports, movies, what have you. On this week's episode, we'll check in on the House of the Dragon Season 1 finale, as well as discuss the NBA 2022-2023 season with an NBA season preview. Before we move on to an NFL check-in, six weeks through the season, I know we just had the week seven slate of games, but I did record this segment on Saturday evening, so it was before the week seven game slotted out, so take that into account when listening. And finally, we'll do a new segment called Not Top 10, uh, which is where, of course, I do uh, top lists for the Not Pod. This one will be uh, not top 10 anime, meaning uh, the nick of time personal top 10 anime of all time. Uh, some interesting inclusions in there. I'm not trying to do an aggregate or talk about everybody's favorite anime of all time. I'm talking about my favorite anime of all time. I will mention that I didn't put Bleach in there. Uh, definitely, definitely worth an honorable mention. Uh, Bleach is anyway, especially now that the Thousand Year Blood War arc is going off. It's been freaking insane so far. What a fucking series uh, this cower has been, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this turns out. Bleach really has benefited from 10 years waiting with brand new animation and high-definition television. All that stuff that's kind of come into the mainstream since then. But anyway, this is just the intro. Stay tuned for some NotPod, you knotheads. Okay, so this episode of the House of Dragon is the finale. It's called The Black Queen. Um, obviously, it leaked a little bit early. If you were lucky like me, you watched it on Friday instead of on Sunday. Had a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, head start on a couple of people by a couple of days. Obviously, I could have released the podcast at that point, but I think it would be doing a disservice and slightly disingenuous to kind of release uh the podcast on a friday or saturday and be like hey guys this is what's gonna happen in the episode on sunday you may not be aware unless you're a pirate like me yarg but uh you know even if you don't sail the seven seas you might have run into spoilers on reddit or twitter wherever you uh do your social media but the black queen is the episode it is the season one finale of house of the dragon uh spoiler alert Needless to say, the plot starts and uh, Rhaenyra is comforting Prince Lucerys, who is kind of worried about becoming Lord of the Driftmark, Lord of the Tides, isn't really ready. Uh, then Princess Rhaenys shows up on Dragonback to let them know, hey, I could have killed them all in their keep as they crowned Aegon the False King. I didn't do that because it wasn't my job to do that, which kind of makes sense, honestly, all things. Uh, being equal, I just wish they wouldn't have really shown the opportunity to have, have done so, but at the same time, I get why she didn't do it, um, you know, so she lets, lets Rhaenyra know that that's what's happening, Viserys is dead, uh, it's very clear that Damon thinks that Viserys was killed, uh, and wasn't actually going to die, uh, when he did die, um, so next thing you know, uh, Sir Eric shows up and presents Viserys' crown to Rhaenyra, swears allegiance, um, and then all bend the knee, except for Rhaenys, of course. Rhaenys 
uh, hasn't decided really who she's fighting with yet. So at the time, it makes sense that she's doing that. Um, and then all of a sudden, you get the standoff, right? Between Otto Hightower and Damon and Rhaenyra on the bridge at Dragonstone. Uh, it's a very tense situation, obviously. It's clear that uh, Allison's kind of terms to surrender have been brought. And, and Otto is going to go ahead and let him know, hey, you can keep... Driftmark, you can keep Dragonstone, have high positions on the royal court. Uh, now, interestingly, Rhaenyra lets them go from this situation. Again, there's a lot of passive behavior between Rhaenyra and Rhaenys. Rhaenyra, I get it, because she's considering the Song of uh, Ice and Fire, or the Song of Fire and Ice. Uh, you know, she's trying to consider uh, the things that Viserys, her father, had told her uh, about the future of the kingdom and how they had to be united to fight the coming uh, winter from the north. Uh, and so she's trying to think a little bit above her station, not be too concerned with her place uh, or her rightful ascension as, as true heir to the Iron Throne uh, and is considering, you know, acquiescing to the terms that Allison and the High Towers have brought before her. Now, Damon. Uh, wants no part of it. Now, this might be partially influenced by the fact that she believes that, or he believes rather that his brother, Viserys, was murdered, uh, you know, which there's obviously not going to be any proof whether or not that did happen. He'll never be satisfied. He will never be satisfied. God, I hope he's satisfied um, with, with whatever evidence that they might be able to bring forth to prove or how do you prove a negative, right? You can't prove a negative. So, it's unfortunate, but the Damon then chokes Rhaenyra, who just had a stillborn baby, right? Because after hearing this news, uh, she has a stillborn baby. And what's a kind of grotesque scene? I have the one thing I will say about House of the Dragon. They're not shying away from the grotesque. Uh, you know, we see the baby born, and as somebody who watched his own daughter born of a C-section, I can't attest to just how, um, you know, it's not the most appetizing scene. Uh, with all the birth all over the child and all that, you know, that's it's a real, it's a real, you know, it's a thing. It's a thing. I mean, if you haven't, if you know, you know, you know, I-Y-K-Y-K, I if you know, you know. Um, but my point is, is that, you know, the stillborn is born. Rainer is upset. Obviously, Damon's upset, too. Now, Damon is choking his wife uh, because, as he says, dreams didn't didn't make us kings. Dragons made us kings. Which, I mean, he's of course right about, but why are you choking your wife, A? B, way to go. Every time people want to like you, you just turn into a shithead all over again. Uh, C, um, I mean, that's kind of it, really. A and B, right? So, Corliss Valerian, meanwhile, Lord of the Tides, has recovered from most of the injuries. He's a little bit hobbled. He's crippled, kind of, walking around on a cane now. But he has recovered from stuff, so luckily for... Uh, Prince Lucerys, he doesn't have to be concerned with becoming Lord of the Tides or uh, Lord of Driftmark anytime soon. Uh, spoiler alert, he's never going to have to fucking worry about that again for the rest of his very short life, as this episode turns out. But, um, you know, that happens. Lord Corlys shows up. He's questioning the Ascension. Uh, and Rhaenys, Princess Rhaenys, says that you should swear loyalty to Rhaenyra's black faction. So now you have the Greens versus the Blacks. Uh, in this show, uh, he proposes that they blockade King's Landing so they can't get shipments in and that'll, that'll slowly choke them out. That's a great idea. Uh, 
Prince Jaceris and Luceris are then sent on their dragons to recruit House Aaron, Stark, and Baratheon. Uh, and Damon goes to awaken a dragon. I think it's called Vermithor, Vermithier. Um, but it's like almost, it's supposedly it's almost as big as Vagar, according to what the wiki says. Uh, and then Jaceris travels to the Eyrie in Winterfell while Luceris flies to Storm End uh, on his dragon Arax, who's an asshole and we're gonna figure out why that is just here shortly so stay tuned for the exciting thrilling conclusion of this episode uh they le they meet lord boros baratheon who's clearly a red white mage uh for all those who understand that reference i appreciate you um so aemond is already there one-eyed good old one-eyed aemond is there uh and luceris tries to tell boros the message from renera uh but it looks like there was an offer for Aemon to marry one of his daughters and thus bring in the Baratheons from Storm End into the royal family, which, of course, Lucerys arrived with no such offer or equivalent trade. So, I mean, if you're Lord Boros, it's kind of like very simplistic as what has to happen. Uh, next thing you know, Aemon wants to go ahead and fuck, fuck uh, Lucerys' shit up right up in Storm End and uh, Storm's End. And Boros, you know, Boros Baratheon will not allow it, which, I mean, to his credit, uh, you know, I don't see that he did anything wrong in this episode, took the best offer on the table, and then didn't let a kid get maimed in his court, in his, uh, you know, in his company. So that was nice to not let the kid get his eye poked out, but it maybe possibly cost the kid his life. So, Aemond demands that he gets his eye. Lucerus is given uh, Boros's company to retreat back to his dragon, uh, the aforementioned asshole known as Arax. Uh, they fly away, but Vagar and Aemond give chase because he doesn't have the eye, so now he's going to harass him in the sky, right? Well, Arax decides uh, to burn Vagar, and Vagar is pissed the fuck off because rightly so. So dumbass Arax is blasting... Vagar, who's literally like six times, seven times, eight times the size of him, burns this motherfucker. I mean, he's a dragon, so he's probably not going to burn off of a couple little flame breaths. He just like is throwing, you know, he's like, Charmander, use flamethrower. And then, you know, oh, it's not, it's just not good. It's not good. So, you know, Vagar's pissed off and decides to eat Lucerus and Arax. Aemond only wanted to intimidate him or fuck with him, but is very clearly stunned. You can hear in the muffled audio Aemond in the background being like, Vagon, no! Vagon, no! I mean, what the fuck did you think was going to happen when dragons fight, dude? It's called a dance of the dragons. That's what they're doing. They're dancing around in the sky. And when two d dragons dance, one one dragon eventually is going to get eaten. It's like praying man or black widows having sex. One of these spiders has to die. After these two things mate, one of these spiders is bound to die. So, you know, Damon informs Rhaenyra of Lucerys' death. Uh, how the, they know about that so quickly is interesting. Did, like, a piece, a hunk of Arax, the asshole, fall from the sky and people realize that that was the dragon of Prince Lucerys or... Did they have a bird where there are birds literally in the sky? Is like, you know, Lord Varys, young Lord Varys down there somewhere with his birds in the sky watching these dragons fucking fly and fight each other? I don't know. A little bit of a, it's a little weird to be completely honest. Uh, but that's okay. I think that 
the writing was very good. The musical score was pretty good uh, for this episode. I really enjoyed like the moments. Obviously, Ramin Dejwadi does such an excellent job. I've loved him on Westworld for his scores. Obviously, Game of Thrones was scored excellently. It's not a surprise. They brought him back for this series as well. Um, really good finale. I still think the best episode of the season is, hands down, the Lord of the Tides episode, where we get the amazing episode of Viserys demanding that his family get along and, like, make peace with one another. Because they really would have done it if it weren't for Allison misunderstanding the words, his final words on his deathbed that were meant for Rhaenyra, uh, completing a conversation, circling back to one they had earlier regarding the Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I, I, I do believe that that is the best episode of the season. I still think Patty Considine deserves an Emmy nomination for Best Acting, for Best Performance as King, uh, for King Viserys. Um, but I did like the Black Queen a lot. Um, the, the end of the season was very strong. I think that going into the second season... We are going to be well into the Dance of Dragons. No more time skips that people were frustrated about. No more wondering how people stay which age or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that was quite the finale. On a scale of 1 to 10, probably give it a 8 out of 10. Pretty good finale, not going to lie. I did enjoy it very much. All right, Knotheads, we're going to go ahead and talk about the NBA season, the 2022 and 2023 NBA season. Uh, if you were here during the beginning episodes, the inaugural episodes of my podcast, you'll have seen that I predicted right at the start of the NBA finals that the Golden State Warriors would dispatch the Boston Celtics, the racist bastards. In a six-game series in the NBA Finals, and now the Celtics, of course, if you remember your history, went up two games to one in that series before the Golden State Warriors stormed back to win three straight and complete my prediction of Golden State winning the championship in six games. Uh, going forward here, we've got the 2022-2023 NBA season upon us. The first games, in fact, are being played as I speak on this podcast. And I want to talk a little bit about the teams that are uh, strongest going into this season. I want to talk about um, which teams to beat there are, as well as, uh, you know, who I expect to be in the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. Now, I do want to get out a disclaimer before I get these predictions out there. Obviously, this is all barring injury. Uh, and of course, I mean major injury. I don't mean, you know, you got a 12-man 12, 12 team, a 9-man, 10-man rotation, and a 10th guy, the 9th guy on the rotation gets injured. I'm talking more like starting five, one of the major stars, maybe the 6th man at very best, uh, being something that might change the outlook for an NBA team or a franchise this year. Uh, but I do want to throw that disclaimer out there. It's a it's a light one. It's not very heavy. So, don't, you know, I'm not trying to look for excuses or ways out on my predictions. Uh, I do think that I have the knowledge and ability to predict what's going to happen specifically regarding uh, the NBA and the NFL. Uh, and I do want to be able to bring that that product to you guys on this podcast. So without further ado, we'll get into the 2002, uh, 22 rather and 2023 NBA regular season. So, 
obviously the Golden State Warriors are returning and I do expect them to be contenders all the way throughout the season. Now, Draymond Green recently punched uh, Jordan Poole right in the face on camera and that video was leaked and nobody knows by who, but suddenly Draymond Green is putting all kinds of content out and video content regarding the incident in itself. And it does seem like it's potential that he may have leaked that himself. Uh, nobody's obviously saying that now. Nobody has any proof of that to this point. But there is some is some uh, credence, I think, to the idea that he was trying to drum up his own hype. Why? Because Golden State Warriors were ready to give contracts to both Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole, who were major players on this newest version of the Golden State Warriors that won the championship last year. Due to Andrew Wiggins' insane defensive capabilities, he's a wing, a big wing that can defend, and that's major in the National Basketball Association. And, of course, Jordan Poole for being a, an honorary third splash brother, a guy that come off the bench and hit, you know, for 30 points, score a bunch of three-point buckets, kind of lead that second unit, what have you. Now, this year, because of that, I expect Draymond Green, who hasn't gotten his contract yet, to not have his best year. But the Warriors may not even necessarily need Green to play up to his potential historically because they're going to have James Wiseman, the number two or number one overall pick in a couple years ago's draft. Uh, he's finally off of injury, very Joel Embiid of him, to finally be getting through some injuries. He played very well in the preseason. If you saw him in the preseason, he had great numbers. Uh, I think... It was like 27, uh, 28 points and 10 or 11 rebounds per game. Uh, and in the preseason, they were playing him, you know, three quarters of a game, not a full game, of course. So, like, in 36 minutes, the guy was averaging 28 points and 10 rebounds. That's kind of fucking insane. Uh, imagine being the NBA world champion and being able to add somebody that has height to your team that's very small who can score 28 and 10. It's, like, kind of fucking cheating if you think about it. <laughs> it's kind of disgusting. So the Golden State Warriors are absolutely a team who I do expect to be contenders. Um, I would say the Milwaukee Bucks uh, have retooled a little bit here. I do like the Milwaukee Bucks because they have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, and as long as Antetokounmpo is uh, playing basketball, I believe he's a top five player, maybe a top four player in the National Basketball Association. So I do think that gives your team automatically a chance, the way that LeBron James used to give your team a chance back in the day. Like, you don't have to have much, because as long as you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, then you're going to be just fine. Uh, let's see, who else? The Boston Celtics. Now, they have some issues with their coach, because the coach was, like, doing some weird stuff with female staff, and the Boston Celtics overall are an incredibly racist franchise due to their historical Racism, according to Bill Russell himself, who played for the Boston Celtics, if anybody remembers. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Bill Russell, who passed away this past year. One of the all-time, if not the all-time NBA great. But I do think the Celtics have the talent uh, to get back potentially to where they were. Uh, the, the Malcolm Brogdon signing is a really big deal because he can average, you know, 10 assists and 20 points a game and give them some versatility off the bench with their guard play, whereas they really didn't have that previously. They just kind of had Marcus Smart and uh, a lot of forwards action with, obviously, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Rose or J, J, J Brown, 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 Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. 
Uh, hard to keep up with these names because of the Jays thing that they got going on. But I think that they're very strong as well. Uh, we shouldn't discount the Phoenix Sun, who had the best rep record in the league last year, although they did have some turmoil themselves with the owner, uh, Sarver, having some major issues and having to sell the team potentially. He said he's going to do that. Has he done it yet? No, he hasn't. Uh, they did give the big contract extension uh, to DeAndre Ayton, so it is uh, hopeful that he takes another step in the right direction. But it could also be a situation where he gets the bag, and after all the bullshit he's dealt with about maybe not getting the bag, you really don't want to deal with uh, playing as hard as you did before. So maybe DeAndre Ayton goes the opposite way, and the Suns go the opposite way because of it. Maybe Chris Paul you know, finally has a meeting with Father Time, and Father Time says, Look, bro, I've been trying to tell you with these injuries during this injury-riddled career you've had, but you got to hang them up. Uh, so they're definitely a contender. Uh, I think that the 76ers are another great contender. They're my favorite team in the National Basketball Association. I think that Tyrese Maxey, if he comes out and scores, uh, you know, if he can score 30 points a game alongside of James Harden and Joel Embiid, we're talking about potential for 80 to 90 points between those three players alone. You know, getting P.J. Tucker for defense and three-point shooting additionally is a really big deal for this team, having some extra defense. Uh, I haven't really enjoyed the way that um, uh, our guy Matisse Thibel has evolved. He's a great defender, or, you know, he's pretty, I would say, pretty good defender. Maybe not great. Um, but he has no offensive game, no rhythm, no three-point shot. Can't really drive to the basket very well, no dribble handles, so, like, that's unfortunately not working out the way that I thought it would. Uh, but being able to get Tucker uh, and, and surround Joel Embiid with a little bit more shooting going into this going into this season, uh, combined with Harden looking very physically fit this year, uh, does have me thinking that the 76ers are in line for some for some good for some good results. Uh, then there's Memphis Grizzlies from last year who are very young uh, and have a lot of depth. I expect Memphis to be doing well. I expect uh, I expect big things from the Cleveland Cavaliers this season, the Dallas Mavericks, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, so I'm expecting a, a kind of some younger teams to grow, a la Memphis, Cleveland, and the Minnesota team, uh, Dallas, Memphis, Minnesota. And I'm expecting teams that have underperformed to finally kind of be be doing their thing this year. I expect more out of like the Los Angeles Clippers. I expect more out of the Philadelphia 76ers. More out of the Denver Nuggets now that Jamal Murray uh, should be fully healthy again after his injury plagued last year where he had to sit out almost the entire year with that ACL, that knee issue. Uh, Or hamstring? I'm not too sure, but it was... uh... The point is, the Denver Nuggets should be revived by virtue of having all of their talent on on the basketball court. So with all that in mind, I'll bring to you the storylines of 22 and 23 for the NBA season. LeBron James going to try to break the all-time career points record. What will they do with Russell Westbrook in Los Angeles? Uh, Is James Harden going to be back to his normal self and be able to push him over the limit in Philadelphia? Is Doc Rivers actually the coach for that job, or should they be playing with uh, fiddling around with hiring Mike D'Antoni to take over the head coaching position for that team because Doc Rivers classically has underachieved uh, his his entire career. Uh, is Luka going to be able to take that next step, or are the Dallas Mavericks going to miss Jalen Brunson? I don't think so. I cr- think Christian Wood is a big, big uh, trade for them from the Rockets this past year. I think that's going to help them a lot. Um, uh, other other 
potential storylines for this year? How is John Morant uh, and the ascendant Memphis Grizzlies going to follow up their sophomore season after how well they did last year? Uh, What about the New Orleans Pelicans, who looked very strong to end the year last year? They're now getting back Zion Williamson. What will that mean for a team? They got C.J. McCullough. He played very well with that team. Brandon Ingram has been ascendant. You know, are they going to be able to get all of their eggs in one basket and finally make a push towards the upper echelon of the league? Uh, Will the Sacramento Kings? Never mind. Not a storyline. Nobody cares. The Sacramento Kings suck so fucking bad, guys. They are so fucking bad. But maybe not actually as bad as the Indiana Pacers, who don't have much of anybody minus uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, But either way, we're talking about some bad teams there, and they're not very interesting. So who's going to be here at the end of the road? Who's going to be making it to the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, respectively? My picks for the Eastern Conference Finals this year is the Milwaukee Bucks facing off against the Philadelphia 76ers. And if I have to have a dark horse that could take one of the places of those two teams, I would be looking out for the ascendant Cleveland Cavaliers. Donovan Mitchell coming over to help with uh, Darius Garland is a very big deal. They already played so well last year. Uh, you got Evan Mobley, who played fantastic. You, you know, you got Jared Allen, who's who's there as well. Uh, I think you've got a real young and really good team in Cleveland. So as long as Donovan Mitchell fits in and doesn't step on the toes of Darius Garland and they're able to, like, kind of get some pick-and-roll opportunities with their big men or, like, play double pick-and-roll with their with their guards, like the – I think it's called, like, the Spanish pick-and-roll – uh, if they're able to do stuff like that, and, and 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 Donovan Mitchell isn't getting in the way of Darius Garland's ascension, then the Cleveland Cavaliers could surprise some folks and really do something special this season without LeBron James. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? So I've got Sixers, Bucks as my finalists in the East. Honorable mention to the Dark Horse potential Cavaliers. In the Western Conference this year, I've got the Golden State Warriors once again in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, Honestly, I I see nothing to think to myself that they're not going to go right back there. I think their team is improving over the championship that they just won. I don't think the loss of Gary Payton, too, is major when you're offsetting it with the rise of a Kaminga, Jonathan Kaminga with a James Wiseman. I think that that's going to change uh the game for them and that they're really gonna really gonna do a doozy on the whole league by repeating and going right back to the western conference finals at least now who will they play in the western conference finals is the question you're asking yourself right now and i'm gonna answer it with something that might surprise you i i i know this sounds crazy but i think it's luka Doncic's year I think the Dallas Mavericks are going back to the NBA Western Conference Finals. I think that they want revenge for what happened last year and how they kind of got smeared by the the Warriors. So, yes, it's the same exact Western Conference Finals. Instead of the Warriors thrashing the Mavericks, though, I expect the Mavericks to put up a fight. So the Warriors and the Mavericks in the Western Conference Finals won't be a clean sweep this time around. It'll be something closer to a six-game series, maybe even a seven-game series with the Mavericks. 
I still think the Mavericks are a little light in the tank uh, to defeat the Golden State Warriors at full power. So I will be choosing the Warriors to once again make it to the NBA Finals this year representing the Western Conference. So in the Western Conference, we'll have the Golden State Warriors dispatching the Dallas Mavericks. If I'm mentioning a dark horse third team like I did with the Cleveland Cavaliers for the East Conference, then the dark horse team I'll mention for the Western Conference is none other than the Memphis Grizzlies. This team is really young and has so much potential if they figure it out. As long as all the success doesn't go to the head of stars like John Moran, as long as you don't have, uh, you know, players that are literally fumbling over each other to say, I'm the guy, I'm the guy, I'm the guy, uh, then I think that this team is really, really talented. And John Morant, it reminds me of Allen Iverson, who I got to see a lot of in my younger years. I remember when he stepped over Tyron Lue. I remember how that went in the NBA Finals Game 1 in 2001. I was watching that game. The whole world was watching that game. What a crazy, in Philly at least, everybody was. John Morant is the most talented small guard since Allen Iverson, and I don't think it's particularly close. So I wouldn't be surprised if Memphis were taking that spot from the Mavericks. I would if they were taking it from the Warriors, because I really do think the Warriors team this year, barring injury, of course, like I said in the beginning, I think the Warriors are like headed for success. So I told you we'd be seeing the Bucks and the Sixers, and I told you we'd be seeing Warriors-Mavericks. I said the Warriors will win the Western Conference. And I'll tell you right now, I do believe that the 76ers will win the Eastern Conference. I know that's crazy because they've had so much unrealized potential over the years. But I think Tyrese Maxey is really coming on. And if Maxey continues to play the way he's been playing for the past nine months at the end of last season and at the beginning the preseason here, what I think he'll play like in the beginning of this season, then Tyrese Maxey is the perfect uh, complement to James Harden and Joel Embiid. So we need a healthy Embiid, uh, motivated Harden, and uh, ascendant Tyrese Maxey. And that'll get us to the NBA Finals. Now, this is where it gets touchy because I am afraid to make an NBA Finals prediction because it's preseason. I reserve the right, obviously, to if the NBA Finals change the, if the... Once the contestants are announced and the NBA Finals are set in stone... I reserve the right to go ahead and change my prediction on who's going to win those those games, who's going to win that series, because obviously the contenders matter, right? But if I'm asked right now who's going to win between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Golden State Warriors in the 2022-2023 NBA Finals, I'm going to have to go with the Golden State Warriors because if I'm right, about the Warriors getting back to the NBA Finals. That's going to be because James Wiseman pulls in a lot of slack, uh, giving them size that they didn't have previously, which means that Joel Embiid is at least going to be somewhat matched. Now, I don't think that James Wiseman is a Joel Embiid. Don't mishear me when I say this. But I do think that having another seven-footer to go off against a Joel Embiid really does matter. And without Wiseman playing, without Wiseman really worked into the rotation as he wasn't last year due to injury, I think that Joel Embiid and the Sixers, had they ascended to their pinnacle last year, would have been able to dispatch the Golden State Warriors 
in a way that the Celtics weren't able to do because they didn't have the size. They only had Robert Williams, whose knee was grinded into dust like uh, like the Avengers at the end of Infinity War. And unfortunately, that meant that they didn't have anybody that could punish the Golden State Warriors for having Draymond Green at six foot ten be the only or six foot nine be the the tallest person on the basketball court. James Wiseman can make sure that Joel Embiid doesn't punish them in that way. And the Golden State Warriors have long had the card for James Harden, so I don't think that Harden's going to be able to do anything to them, flummox them in such a way. Well, they'd be confused by his continued success. If Philly's to win that series, it has to be Tyrese Maxey basically becoming unguardable against the Golden State Warriors and carrying Philadelphia on his back to an NBA championship. But I just don't see it happening. I see the Golden State Warriors in seven games with home court likely beating the Philadelphia 76ers for the NBA championship. So that's the Philadelphia 76ers against the Golden State Warriors with Philadelphia losing to the now back-to-back NBA champion Warriors. Go Dubs, Dub Nation, yeah, yeah. But also, I really hope I'm wrong about that prediction because I'd really enjoy it if perhaps, uh, like, say, James Wiseman couldn't stay healthy, the Warriors still made the finals, and Joel Embiid could just roll all over them, and the Sixers could win in six or seven games. That would be wonderful. But as it stands, I'll, I'll take the Dubs in seven Uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers. All right, so let's go ahead, nod heads, and talk about the NFL 2022 season. This is our third of the season checkpoint that we're discussing. If you didn't listen to back on September 4th, I did uh, a mega episode that includes an NFL 2022 season preview. Uh, So for those interested in seeing what my thoughts were in the preseason, feel free to go ahead and check out that pod that I did back uh, on September 4th of this year. I believe it's not episode number 15. If you're looking by episode title, it's got a bunch of other good stuff, including the Rick and Morty season six premiere. Uh, the patient premiere, me just shooting the shit and talking about Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, stuff like that. But mainly, it does uh, feature a season preview for this season of the NFL uh, that you should check into now. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I want to say, uh, oh, wait, no, that's my fucking podcast, and I will toot my own horn a little bit. I do believe in that episode I predicted that the Eagles will have the best record in the NFC and potentially in the league and right now it's looking like that is coming to fruition I did say that the Bills were my number one power rankings team number two actually because I failed to list 10 teams I only listed nine because of a clerical error on my part but I did say that the Bills were at the top of the power rankings list and thus far in this season after recently beating the Chiefs 24 to 20 they do appear as though They are at the top of that list. They are at the top of the power rankings. Despite not having the best record in the league, they look like the most complete team, even with the Eagles being 6-0 and currently undefeated. Now, I do want to mention that my Super Bowl is looking even better with uh, Bills facing off against the Eagles. If everything holds true right now and no major injuries happen to a Josh Allen, a Jalen Hurts, you know, uh, a Stephon Diggs, 
uh, Von Miller, you know, um, you know, Miles Sanders, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith. If nothing, if everything holds the way it is right now, there's a very strong possibility we get that Super Bowl matchup I predicted where the Philadelphia Eagles would lose to the Buffalo Bills 33-20. to So, very interesting how that's holding up so far. Some of my power ranking predictions have obviously not come true. The Rams looking very bad, but I did mention the Matthew Stafford concerning elbow injury news. Uh, headed into the beginning of this season, I did mention that I was uh, afraid of that potentially. That there was a lot of ifs surrounding the 49ers, and they have uh, obviously they're only three and three with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. Uh, but the NFC West is kind of beating itself up. Got a lot of three and three teams. Arizona's two and four. Very disappointing right now. Uh, I did mention that the Minnesota Vikings were a team I was considering for the NFC Championship game, but I had to go be a homer with Green Bay. Green Bay, very disappointing thus far, but again, I did make mention of them having the worst wide receiver room in the league, and that has come to pass so far, as they are 3-3 three and three and in danger after losing to the Jets this week of their first three-game losing streak of the Matt LaFleur era. Uh, I will say this, LaFleur needs to come up with some better play calling. Uh, we need to fire defensive coordinator Joe Barry, because the talent on our defense is much better than our defense is playing currently. We have Jair Alexander, the top-paid cornerback in the league, but we're playing uh, zone coverage constantly, never press coverage. Even though we have Eric Stokes, who was great last year in his rookie year, he should be great in his second year here. We still have Rasul Douglas. He's our third-best cornerback, even though he started all year in place of Alexander. Our safeties are above average, though they may not be the best in the league. They're no Derwin James. Uh, but, you know, somebody's got to go in Green Bay right now, and it feels like it's got to be the defensive coordinator because even if our wide receivers aren't playing that great and LaFleur's not calling enough running back plays for the Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillons of the world, we still got a defense that is massively underperforming in these games. Can't give up 27 points to the Jets. No way, no how. Doesn't matter what you say. We can't give up that many points to the New York Jets. I know they're a very talented football team right now, especially their defense. But Zach Wilson is not a quarterback who should be scoring 27 at Lambeau Field. Period. End of story. But I'll end the rant there. And we'll check in on some teams and see where we're at here at this point in the season. Uh, I do believe that I had, against the Buffalo Bills, the Los Angeles Chargers as the other AFC Championship uh, game team uh, in the conference championship. They're 4-2 right alongside the Chiefs. Lost a heartbreaker uh, against Kansas City earlier in the season. So, of course, right now, KC's holding that tiebreaker. Uh, but I'm still feeling very strong about that situation. Uh, the AFC North is a clusterfuck, as I expected it to be. The Bengals uh, having a rough time. That offensive line hasn't really gelled the way that I had thought it would. Uh, but they're 3-3 three and three right alongside the Baltimore Ravens, 3-3. Three and three. Uh, another of my dark horse candidates for the um, potential AFC championship game there and um, Super Bowl contender potentially. I think the most surprising thing about the beginning of this season, uh, I'll, I'll name the top three most surprising things about the start of the 2022 season, things that I did not see coming uh, this season in the NFL. Number one, I did not expect the Denver Broncos to be as bad as they've been, nor did I expect the Raiders to be as bad as they've been. I'll combine them into one. Russell Wilson looks cooked. They say let Russ cook, and he trademarked it. What an idiot. I don't know why these people trademark things. It's almost like they're jinxing themselves. Have they no sense of superstition in the National Football League? I don't understand what that's about. But 
Looks like Russ is cooked right now. It looks like let Russ cook. Let let Russ get barbecued because this man is in flames. Let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. Let's ride. That's what he says constantly every single week, and they just keep losing and losing, and they keep getting put on prime time, and they're losing and they're losing. Russell Wilson must have whispered real good into Roger Goodell's ear at that game they were at last year. Was that the Super Bowl? I can't remember where it was, but... Russell Wilson was whispering sweet nothings into Goodell's ear to have him on primetime so much, and he's been absolute trash and garbage. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, except for the fact that this man is like, right before our very eyes, his entire talent is just degrading. Maybe he was always overrated, and Pete Carroll is just that much of a football genius? But, oh man, I'll tell you what, I didn't expect Russell Wilson to be this bad. Also, Derek Carr, what is going on in... In Vegas, they have Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, they have Darren Waller, they got them all signed to contract extensions. You know, Josh Jacob, Josh Jacobs isn't some uh, cooked turkey at running back, you know, and they haven't been able to win games. They're one and four through the first six weeks of the NFL season. That's absolutely absurd. Uh, the point and differential for them is only minus five. So they've been in close games. It's not like they're getting blown out necessarily. But it's just actually terrifying to me that, uh, you know, they're one in four considering the talent pool on that offensive side of the football. So that's the number one most shocking thing to me in the National Football League this year so far. Number two, the most shocking thing in the National Football League is the power of the AFC East. The Patriots are the worst team in that division. They're three and three tied with the Miami Dolphins who are going backwards after starting the season three and oh. They've lost three in a row, thanks largely in part to the concussion, back injury, huh, 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 to Tua Tagliavoa. I don't know how to pronounce that name, and I'm not going to pretend to. Uh, the New York Jets are 4-2 and two on a three-game win streak. Who knew? Huh? How about that? How about that, Stu Gatz? How about that? Unbelievable. Uh, and the Buffalo Bills, as predicted, are 5-1 and one with a, 90, a plus 95-point difference. Is that correct? Plus 95 point differential? And they only won against Kansas City by four points the other night. So in the other five games, they're plus 91. Jesus Christ, they are blowing teams out of the water. Um, it's crazy how good the Buffalo Bills are. I knew they were good, but that not that good. So my second most shocking thing of the early season so far is the success of the AFC East. Overall, as a division. Mostly the Jets... Uh, and the and the Patriots, I think a lot of people thought the Dolphins would be good. Obviously, I didn't list them in my top 10 power rankings because I'm not a big believer in Tua. I'm not a part of Tua non. I do think they have great offensive talent in Mike Gusecki, the tight end. I think that, obviously, Jalen Waddell is a sick, 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 sick wide receiver. And Tyreek Hill is a uh, name brand, so you already know about that, right? But uh, surprised by that. And finally, I am surprised at the New York football giants. Uh, they are 5-1. Obviously, everybody thought the Cowboys would be pretty strong. They are 4-2 currently. But the Giants are 5-1 with a plus 14-point differential, meaning they're winning really, they are really winning these tight games, which you would think uh, a team that is uh, very undermanned in the New York Giants wouldn't be able to do. 
These guys don't have a great defense, but they're playing great defense. They only have Saquon Barkley in the backfield. Their wide receivers are literally people that they signed out of the Kmart, a la Kurt Warner, just checking people out. Hey, you want to catch a football for us? It's actually absurd. Um, and Daniel Jones is playing the best football of his career so far, which isn't saying much because he hasn't played a lot of great football to this point in his football career. But he is playing very well this season. And I am utterly shocked that the New York Giants are 5-1 and one right now, as I'm sure Eli Manning is. Right now, Brian Dayball is early choice for Coach of the Year. It's not even close. I don't want to hear the heresy of give it to the Buffalo Bills head coach. I don't want to hear, you know, give it to the Eagles coach, Sirianni. Honestly... They've done great jobs. Same with the Minnesota Vikings' new coach. They've done great jobs, and I'm not here to take away from them. The Minnesota Vikings are 5-1 and one in the NFC North division lead. I'm not taking away anything from those coaches. What I am saying, though, is that the, the undermanned New York Giants are doing so much more with so much less that Brian Dayball, the head coach of the Giants, deserves all the credit in the world. They are absolutely fantastic. Other storylines that uh, are worth mentioning is, uh, like I said, the Rams and Matthew Stafford's elbow is very bad. Clearly, they're getting ready to trade Cam Akers. That's crazy. Uh, nobody knows what the situation is entirely with that going on. Uh, Devontae Adams left Green Bay and became a criminal. Now he's not. He's pushing over cameramen, assaulting cameramen because he's tired of losing. Maybe you shouldn't have left Aaron Rodgers, Devontae. Just, just saying. You're worried about... Him waffling on retirement. Who's going to throw you the ball? Maybe just not your old buddy Derek Carr because he obviously can't hit the broad side of a barn, if I'm right. Um, uh, Tom Brady is getting a divorce, and it's clearly impacting his play. He's 3-3 three and three right now behind a really bad, shoddy offensive line in Tampa Bay. But they're plus 18 in the point differential, and they're 3-3 three and three right now. So you think that they're you know, able to win some games, but they just lost a pretty embarrassing game to the Pittsburgh Steelers this last week, 20-18. to 18 you got to be able to beat uh, Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky. And if you can't, then you're not winning a Super Bowl. And and Tom knows exactly that because he was caught on camera yelling at his offensive linemen uh, during this game because uh, I believe he was yelling at them the exact verbiage was something along the lines of, uh, they build it with, with a box of scraps in the desert. It's not Tony Stark or Iron Man, but you got the gist. Uh, they, gotta, they simply got to be better than that. Uh, n- n- nothing to it. Uh, other surprises, uh, I suppose it is surprising that the the Jaguars are looking a lot better under Doug Peterson. They're 2-4, and four, not a great record, but plus 24-point differential, so they are playing hard in the games, uh, and it looks like they're coming along just fine. Uh, and Trevor Lawrence isn't a complete wash, so hopefully they're able to rehabilitate him uh, after the shit that was, the shit storm that was Urban Meyer. Uh, but yeah, no, honestly, it's been a pretty great... NFL seasons. Oh, yeah, Geno Smith is playing great for the Seattle Seahawks. They're 3-3, three and three, which uh, record-wise isn't entirely great. But, man, they're playing good football in general up there in Seattle without Russell West. Uh, Rest, I said Russell Westbrook. Wow, that's a Freudian slip because Russell Westbrook is trash. And, and I'm now uh, conflating him with Russell Wilson. So that lets you know just how trashy he is. Um other coaches that need to go. So I say the defensive coordinator in Green Bay needs to go. Uh, I say that the offensive play caller in Los Angeles, uh, the Chargers 
Joe Lombardi needs to go. Nice last name, Lombardi. Learn how to fucking play call. You got Keenan Allen, who's been injured for the most of the year, granted. We got Mike Williams. You got Josh Joshua Palmer. You got Gerald Gerald Everett. You got like you know good weapons on offense, but the the play calling is so milk toast that you're that you're just ruining Justin Herbert's talent by not being able to properly play call these football games. Now, obviously, they lost Joe Bosa or the Bosa brother for the year. Is it Joey or Nick? I can't remember who's in. I can never remember which one's in Los Angeles versus which one's in San Francisco. But you got the Bosa brother. He's done for the year, it looks like. Uh, obviously, J.C. Jackson has been benched because his ankle was a problem, and he hasn't been playing as well as he could. Uh, so there's, And then you lost your left tackle uh, for the year, your all-pro left tackle. So definitely some injury bug biting the San Diego Chargers that have left them at 4-2. They could easily be 5-1 and one, uh, right now. But um, injuries have bitten them, including Justin Herbert kind of breaking his ribs, and then the Chargers just leaving him out there to die on a stick. Talk about, like, coaching malpractice. They should have taken that man out of that game, but they tried to win that game that they ended up losing after this man gets hurt. He's the entire franchise. Justin Herbert... Uh, I hope he doesn't go the way of Andrew Luck and retire early because Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi are leaving this man on the field to die when he has a broken rib and nothing can be done, uh, short of a miracle. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying this season of the NFL so far. Um, the concussion protocol is slightly worrying. Got to fix that issue. Can't just be like flip-flopping, deciding which quarterbacks get to play, which ones don't get to play. Uh, but yeah, what a good season so far. Very entertaining, very exciting. Love that football's back. Still rooting for the Chargers. Still rooting for the Packers, who are having a really rough time uh, right now. Still rooting for both my teams and hope that they pull through. But glad to see that the Eagles and Buffalo Bills at the top of my power rankings. My Super Bowl, my Super Bowl participants doing very well so far, and I'm proud that I made those picks. Hopefully, uh, when we check back in after two thirds of the season. Things are still looking that way. Uh, as, far, as far as the fantasy side of things has gone, boy, has it been a season of fantasy football. I got four teams. I'm not doing so hot in a bunch of them. I'm, I guess I'll go post my records right now. I am 1-5 with an auto-draft team. I am 3-3. Three and three. I am 2-3, and three, and I am 5-1. and one. Thank God for that team. Uh, you know, we lost... We lost Trey Lance in two of my leagues, and uh, I reached on him as a quarterback. Uh, it's unfortunate he got injured. He's out for the year. Jimmy G running the team back in San Fran again. Uh, for old time's sake, Derek Carr, Mike Williams, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, Mark Andrews, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Daryl Henderson Jr., Gabriel Davis, James Conner, uh, Romeo Dubs, and Garrett Wilson are the team that is five and one with uh, McPherson kicking and the Chargers defense playing for me. So that's my best team right now. They're five and one. Uh, my three and three squad is CeeDee Lamb, T. Higgins, Darren Waller, Justin Jefferson, AJ Dillon, Jeff Wilson Jr., Miles Sanders, Devonta Smith, uh, Daryl Henderson Jr., as I mentioned, and Geno Smith. Uh, the Buffalo defense has been doing great work for me on that squad. Uh, and then the other two teams are just straight busted. I guess I'll talk about the one in five team because they're the like actual shithole. This is the auto draftable, so I didn't realize I was in this draft, and it got auto drafted. So you know what happens when that happens. You get a Kyle, Kyler Murray, 
uh, Terry McLaurin, you get Leonard Fournette, <laughs> you get Dallas Goddard, Jonathan Taylor, who's played like shit this year, DeAndre Swift, who's been injured for a bunch of games, uh, the Baltimore defense, I don't even want to name the rest of the players because it's so trash, DJ Moore, just straight trash and garbage, I barely have been able to patch together some wide receivers for this awful team, uh, my running backs on this team, because uh, of Taylor and Swift's underperformance, have been very disappointing. And I suppose if Taylor and Swift turn it around, this team's got a shot going late into the year. If Kyler Murray and Swift and if three of my three of my players turn it around completely, I guess I can make the playoffs. Anybody can say that, right? So hopefully you're having better success than me in fantasy football this season. I was going for Diamond uh, in my Yahoo leagues, but uh, it looks like I'm going to be stuck in Platinum another year if I don't turn this around fast. All right, Knotheads, we're going to go ahead and do a Not Top 10, which, of course, if you're familiar with the podcast, is when I go on about a Top 10 list uh, for the Nick of Time podcast. Specifically, I'm not saying this is historically accurate or that you're all going to agree with the content that I'm going ahead and talk about right now, but I'm going to give you my Top 10 in no particular order. Why? Because when you reach the upper echelon of a Not Top 10 uh, honestly, it's it's tough to give somebody the grade over another one. I think that this group is in the S tier, the uh, creme de la creme, so to speak, of anime. And if you've seen any of this stuff, then you may already know just how great it is. I'm going to start with Naruto Shippuden. If you've watched any shonen anime in the history of shonen anime, and you'll know Naruto Shippuden is amazing utterly and incredibly amazing there's so many great fights animated fight scenes in this anime you get naruto versus pain you get sasuke versus itachi you get guy sensei guy lee versus madara uchiha you get uh you know Kaguya versus Sasuke and Naruto. You get Naruto versus Sasuke in the final battle for who will become Hokage of the Hidden Leaf Village. You get so much great... Oh, Kakashi versus Pain. Jiraiya versus Pain. I feel like everybody had a great fight scene versus Pain because that character was so fucking hard to beat. Oh, man, man, I'll tell you what. Naruto Shippuden... Great animation ahead of its time. Uh, it was much better than the original series, Naruto. Why? Had less filler, better animation, more mature themes. Uh, we got along in that storyline a lot, so we finally got to see how things ended up between Naruto and Sasuke. Uh, Naruto Shippuden is in the not top 10, and it belongs here absolutely 100%. Uh, Raka, Brave of the Six Flowers, a classic whodunit. Uh, murder mystery. There's six supposed to be six Braves, and all of these Braves have these special powers. And they're supposed to help defeat the Demon King. Uh, the only problem is they all get locked in a forest, and one of them is a fake Brave because there's seven of them, uh, and there's only supposed to be six Braves. But they all have the tattoos. They all have the markings. Everybody seems to have their part, uh, and it's a very, very mysterious 
whodunit action series, but it also has a lot of logical deductions, things like that. I really do enjoy a good whodunit, is what I'm saying to you right now. I enjoy a show that's asking the question, uh, are you smart enough to put together what's happening here? Uh, I like something that challenges my brain. So I like a good whodunit. In the, in the way that Clue is a whodunit, right? You're asking, was it Mr. Mustard with the lead pipe in the observatory? Was it Professor Plum with the revolver in the library? Whodunit. If you don't know what a whodunit is, basically a murder mystery. It's basically one large game of Among Us. Uh, honestly, Rock and Brave of the Six Flowers is kind of Among Us, the anime. Uh, with anime characters. I don't even know if they meant for that. I don't know if... I mean, that's so wild now that I think about it. I'm just kind of oversimplifying, of course. Uh, but it really does feel as though Rock of Brave of the Six Flowers is uh, maybe Seven Flowers. You know, I'm kind of wa I'm waffling a little bit on the title of this anime. But uh, so be it. It's, in, it's the not top ten. What are you going to do about it? Uh, Kill La Kill. One of the most interesting animes that I've ever seen. Uh, if not a little over-sexualized, the costumes in this anime are out of control. Uh, but honestly, I did so much enjoy Kill La Kill. I think that the animation style of the anime is really high quality. Uh, I think that uh, the character design in Kill La Kill is top-notch. Uh, obviously, the heroine uh, of Kill La Kill... Uh, Ryuko, Ryoko, Ryuko Matoi is one of the best heroines in all of anime history. The whole scissor blade thing is totally dope as a big Keyblade fan guy. Uh, I thought that this series was incredibly well done. The twist at the end with, uh, like the alien thing was absolutely, uh, unforeseen. Spoiler alert, I really hope that people come to this podcast and realize at this point that I don't say spoiler alert. I'm just not afraid to talk about spoilers. If anything, you should come to the Not Pod and think to yourself, if he doesn't specifically say that he's going to avoid spoilers, then there's a potential that spoilers could happen. Um, but the animation studio who does Kill La Kill is Trigger. Uh, Trigger most recently uh, famous for the uh, cyberpunk Edge Runners anime that recently came out on Netflix. Very well beloved, very great anime. Uh, Trigger has also done stuff like Little Witch Academia, um, is known for stuff like that, Darling and Franks, uh, and other animes of that nature. Trigger, great studio overall. Uh, and Kill la Kill, very unique anime, great fight scenes, great character designs, well animated by Trigger, and some sweet plot twists. So not your classic anim action anime, uh, more like, uh, an action comedy with, um... With, like I said, some interesting twists along the way. Samurai Champloo. Uh, what a story. The story of Mugen and, and Jin. Uh, the story of trying to find the, the Sunflower Samurai. I think it was the Sunflower Samurai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Sunflower Sam Samurai. This girl, Fu, is trying to find the Sunflower Sam Samurai. Meanwhile, she runs into Jin and Mugen. Jin is like this really uh, orderly, uh, amazing, well-taught samurai who's like incredibly studious. Mugen is like this wild am animal. Uh, every time I see Mugen, 
uh, in this series, I'm thinking to myself, this is like Wolverine, right? It's like, what if Wolverine were a swordsman? He's using his sandals to block blade strikes. He's doing, like, breakdancing kicks to, like, go into a breakdancing and then start kicking the shit out of his opponents. Uh, Fu's an adorable character. The great comic relief of the show. Uh, but the real show is, I mean, breaks down to be about uh, Mugen and Gin and the difference between them. Uh, and the similarity as well. I love the samurai setting, the historical nature of the show. Uh, it's really great. Um, the director of the show did Cowboy Bebop, the movie, I think. Maybe he did actual Cowboy Bebop. I'm not too sure uh, on the history of this show, so I'm not going to pretend. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure that uh, the director of this show is a pretty famous director of animes as well. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, he did Cowboy Bebop. I had to look it up for you guys. I just had to do it. Cowboy Bebop is obviously a huge uh, all-time anime as well. But again, this isn't the best anime of all time. This is the not top 10 anime uh, of Nick time. Uh, uh, Nick of time, right? <laughs> so, Death Note. I mean, what a story. What, what is there to say about Death Note? Death Note may have made me think more than any anime has ever made me think before. And here's why. Because Light Yagami, or Yagami Light, I like to call him Yagami Light. You know, I'm not sure what's appropriate. I know in Japanese, it's last name first, surname first. You know, Yagami Light, his uh, his father, Soichiro uh, Light, is, um, you know, the police chief captain. So he's instilled upon Light... Uh, the ideals of what is right and what is wrong what is justice what is uh what is the ideal behind justice and so there's a certain level of idealism that soichiro possesses that his son light does not simply does not possess you know he is okay this book falls from the sky it's this otherworldly book called the death note he writes someone's name in it and they die and what light sees is like myself is that society is broken society is cancerous society is filled with toxic poison uh, and there's no real way to unwind it all because at the end of the day uh, it goes all the way to the top it's just uh, so much is wrong with the world uh, and the only way to really fix it is to use the death note to his advantage which is to say kill all of the people doing evil and that doesn't make him a murderer in his own eyes that makes him a god a god of the new world because he smites the wicked uh, and helps the just helps just uh, enact justice uh, for those who did not receive justice. So, it begs the question. The question that Death Note asks you is, murdering murders actually murder unto itself? Which is very interesting, because if you think about it, we put uh, people on death row, we execute people on death row with lethal injection, firing squad in this world. Uh, people who have done wrong are killed all the time. And we don't really think twice about it because that's just the rules, right? Those are the that's the social contract that we live by. If you do wrong, then ultimately it may be you who is killed because of the wrongdoing that you've chosen to commit. Um, and and so Death Note begs that question: uh, Is that okay? Which is why I think it is one of my favorite. It's on the not top ten. Death Note. What a fantastic anime. Uh, another anime that's fantastic is Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works and Heaven's Feel, also Fate Zero. But I'm going to stick with the main storyline. So here's the thing with Fate Stay Night. 
somebody made uh, a game where you ch choose one of three women, and based on the three women that you choose, the different whichever woman, a whole entire different storyline is born from it. So the original Fate Stay Night was done by Studio Dean, and unfortunately, their animation quality back then wasn't that great, you know, a la very early Bleach. Uh, and, it, and so the storyline wasn't great, the animation wasn't great, it hasn't aged terribly well. The other adaptations of the other routes, where the main character Shiro, uh, Emiya Shiro, uh, goes ahead and chooses two different women, in this case uh, Sakura Matau and Rin Tosaka, uh, those routes are so much better. So in Limited Blade Works, you have uh, Shiro Emiya coming back from the past as a champion for this Holy Grail War. And he comes back into the present as a future version of himself and wants to kill his younger self. So it's literally a future version of yourself coming back to kill yourself because he thinks you're so worthless and the decisions you've made are so worthless. Like, how artistic is that? Like, I just know that a future version of myself definitely tried to kill me when I was younger. That had to have happened because by comparison, that he's got to be so mad at the potential that I never reached. Fantastic animation, fantastic fight scenes, fantastic character design. Ufotable doing great. I mean, they're known for Demon Slayer now, one of the most popular animes out that's currently airing. Uh, and they obviously did all this first in the Fate series. So I'm completely unsurprised by the work that Ufotable as a studio puts out there. Um, and then you get the Heaven's Feel movie trilogy, where he chooses Sakura Matau. And in each of these different scenarios, Emiya Shiro has to either give up his idealism, embrace his idealism, or choose to alter his idealism. Uh, it kind of is like this decision tree for how this person's going to live his life, for the beliefs that he is going to take with him into his future and what kind of character that will turn him into. And so I think that's very poetic, very beautiful, and that's what makes uh, Heaven's Field Trilogy and Unlimited Blade Works two of the, the not top ten animes that you absolutely got to see. Reminder that Unlimited Blade Works got the full anime series treatment, whereas Heaven Fe Heaven's Field at this point just got a movie trilogy. But uh, the score in Evansville, the animation quality, uh, the writing is absolutely great. And I do advise anybody listening to check out the uh, Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works series and Evansville movie trilogy. Understanding that the starting point for those series is the same, uh, but the, middle, the journey during the middle and the end point that they arrive at and the conclusions are completely different, which make the stories pretty fantastic. Uh, and individually amazing. No, nothing getting rehashed, just totally amazing stories throughout. Okay. Uh, Stein's Gate. Let's talk about Stein's Gate. Stein's Gate is a story of, um, I mean, absolute tragedy, right? It feels like uh, the main character is constantly in this battle to save either his best friend or the woman he's fallen in love with. Uh, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, it's absolutely crazy. Um, it's like a time-traveling anime, and it has to do with, like, so many real-world conspiracies as well. Um, the main character, his name is Okabe Rintaro, uh, but oftentimes is known as Ho-Hyun-Kyoma! Ho-Hyun-Kyoma! 
And uh, Okarin is he as he's called by his friends Mayuri and Daru. Um, but he's trying to save Mayuri, Shina Mayuri, his best friend. Uh, and he's trying to save his love interest, the main heroine of the game, Makise Kurusu. Um, and it's a great love story as well as a time travel adaptation. I'm a huge fan of time travel. I'm a hopeless romantic. So, of course, this anime piques my interest because at the end of the day, um, it's kind of like love perseveres even in death. And uh, I know a little thing or two about lost love. Uh, you're just going to have to trust me on that one because that's not something that we're talking about. This is the not top 10 for anime. So it's not time to talk about those things. So we got three more animes on the list. RE0, Starting Life in Another World. Natsuki Subaru is this man who cannot die. Every time he dies, he restarts like it's a spawn point, a checkpoint, a video game. So he dies over and over again to make himself better informed, to enlighten the women in his life that he's chosen to serve, to commit himself to. Uh, Amelia, the White Witch, not the White Witch, but people call her the White Witch. Amelia is this candidate to become Queen of the Kingdoms. And obviously, Subaru, Natsuki Subaru, has aligned himself with Amelia. Uh, he dies over and over again, often in tragic ways, loses his mind. Uh, this show has a lot to say about self-love, about accepting oneself, about not hating oneself, um, which are themes that I can really empathize with a lot. Uh, it's very emotional, dark kind of twisted mental health fantasy going on in this show, which, uh, you know, I've been working on uh, a series of books, uh, my own personal epic mental health fantasy for over the better part of over a decade now. So I do enjoy RE0. It, it started the isekai trend in Japan. Everybody's making uh, starting life in another world animes and manga now. Uh, personally, this is the best one, the original, and I can't wait to see season three because obviously we got a long way to go before this one completes. This is one of the only ones on the list that hasn't completed yet. In fact, it's the only one on the list that hasn't completed yet. Everything else has already uh, been aired to completion. All right, two more to go through. This is the one that most of you probably haven't heard of. So I'm going to be a little bit more in-depth speaking about it because I'm not positive that any of you are going to be familiar with it because it's older, because it hasn't come out. Uh, it just recently came out on Blu-ray. A lot of people haven't been introduced to it, don't know what it is. This is an anime that we call Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei, which of course translates to Goodbye Despair Teacher or Goodbye Mr. Despair. Okay. So, the anime starts off, it's about a very pessimistic high school teacher, uh, Nozumo Toshiki. Uh, at the beginning of the series, he tries to hang himself from a soccer tree. And he's saved by an extremely optimistic student, Kafuka Fura. Uh, and in her effort to save him, she almost ends up killing him. But she ends up nicknaming him Pink Supervisor instead, offers to pay him yen. Uh, to call him that nickname, so, like, he's gonna get some money for this. It's a comedy anime. The anime is a dark comedy, uh, you know, obviously with themes of suicide. Uh, it's very dark. 
But at the same time, it's one of the funniest anime, if not the funniest anime I've ever seen. Honorable mention to Hayate no Gotsuku. Of course, Hayate the Combat Butler. Um, but I do think that most people, if they saw this anime, would greatly enjoy it. It's a comic sensation. Uh, each kind of episode revolves around a particular episode of life in Japanese culture. Or like a common phrase in the Japanese language. So it's... Uh, Let's see, like, think, for instance, the practice of descending from the public to the private se sector. Uh, the teacher uh, descends until he reaches his previous life. Um, uh, it's like, it's, it's a very dark, like I said, but very deep show. Uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with it because of uh, basically the inability for them to kind of get it out into a medium. Uh, that was presentable. The Blu-rays just came out recently. I hope a lot of you listeners who are interested in anime that you've maybe never seen or heard of before, check it out. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Uh, rave reviews for Sayonara uh, Zetsubo Sensei. And finally, to end the not top 10 animes list, uh, I would put Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, possibly the greatest anime of all time, um... Uh, I think, honestly, if, even if it's not the greatest of all time, you have to at least give it something along the title of the most complete anime of all time. The story of Edward and Alphonse Elric, uh, who were, you know, abandoned by their father, who whose mother died. They tried to bring her back to life, and in doing so, caused a whole world of chaos to surround them. And uh, it's a tragic story. Uh, of two brothers trying to find their body parts that they lost, the body parts that they sacrificed. Uh, the younger brother, Alphonse Elric, loses his entire body. The older brother loses an arm and a leg. Um, and they become dogs of the military, you know, a.k.a. government stooges, so that they can research and, and properly look into how to get their body parts back from beyond the gate, uh, the gate of knowledge. Uh, basically, like, all these uh, allegories to, like, the, the tree of knowledge, the, you know, fruit from the forbidden tree, uh, which has some religious undertones that maybe go unnoticed by some of the viewers upon first viewing. But I've seen the anime several times. There's a lot of stuff inside of this anime that isn't just magic alchemy stuff, but also has serious philosophical and religious undertones. Um, the story of Edward and Alphonse is deeply heart-wrenching. And heartfelt. My uh, my very good friend Zachary Chadwick was the one who introduced me to anime, and the first thing he introduced me to uh, was Full Metal Alchemist, not Brotherhood, but the original, which eventually surpassed the source material, the manga that it was based upon. So they had to come up with their own original ending, which a lot of people did like, but also a lot of people didn't like when the manga actually finished and had a much better ending. So they redid the anime, rebooted it, called it Brotherhood. Um, and essentially went along with the original ending and gave it an additional, I think, uh, 40 or 50, no, like 20 to 40 episodes more in the, in the Brotherhood episodes of the anime as opposed to the original version. But, uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, probably the most complete anime of all time. Has a start, has a finish, it's about 63 episodes, uh, great work along the way, no spoilers, or no, uh, no, rather, no fillers. Um, great voice acting work, great dubs. I don't watch dubs, usually always subtitles with anime, but uh, the sub, the dub work in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood does leave everything there. It's very raw language, 
Uh, all the curses are kind of left in. Uh, so you get the passion and the emotion that you're meant to feel out of the characters. Like when Edward Elric is is saying, you bastards, you know, you get, you actually get that as opposed to, you jerks, like a lot of, uh, English dubs are prone to do, a lot of dampering down the language, tempering it, uh, for the West Coast audience, which I never appreciated, again, why I always prefer subtitles to the dubs, but, uh, yeah, that would be my not top 10 anime, honorable mentions to stuff like Hayate no Gotoku, that's Hayate the Combat Butler, great comedy anime, uh, stuff like Erased, fantastic anime, Trigon, Helsing Ultimate. Um, I could go on and name a bunch more. Of course, Bleach. Uh, I could go on and name some more. Fate Zero. I could name more, but uh, we'll leave it right there. The not top ten anime.